Welcome back to Ralph Pinson's podcast, where ancient wisdom meets modern man. This episode was sponsored anonymously in honor of all of Klal Yisrael being inscribed and sealed in the Book of Life. Today's episode is a special Yom Kippur edition Q&A and the fifth in our Q&A series. Our first question is why are there specifically 10 days of teshuva between the period of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? What's the significance of 10? How should one utilize these 10 days between the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement, Yom, Yom Kippur, which are known as a Seres Yemei Teshuvah? Um, so like this. So the idea of the 10 days of teshuva is called the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the 10 days. Now, Yom Kippur is the 10th day of the month. So it's really not between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It actually includes Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is day one and day two. And Yom Kippur is day 10. So the, the entire structure is 10 days. The entire structure it's 10 days refers to the 10 spherot, the 10 uh, attributes, divine attributes. And every day there's a correction on another another level of this of this of this sphere because the idea of this time period, the time period of, of Russian in general, as Russian, and then it leads up until Yom Kippur, is a time when there is a binyan amalchus. Binyan amalchus means the construction of Hashem's presence, immediate presence in this world. Malchus is kingship, Hashem's kingship in this world. And we're participators in this process. That it's Hashem is the difference between Hashem, God being a king or a ruler, is that a ruler in Hebrew is called a Moisho. And a ruler is someone that can be by force. Like if a person is stronger, one, let's say, even in a kingdom, if one kingdom is stronger than the other kingdom, they can overwhelm the other kingdom and conquer them. But it's not that the people themselves want this, the sovereignty of that, of that king. That's the definition of a moishal. That's kingship. That's, that's, that's a rulership. Kingship, the idea of a melech, of king, is a melech beloyam. There's no king without a people, which means that the subjects have to desire the, 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 the leadership of that, of that person to be their king. So that, that comes from a place of free choice. So the entire process of Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is the idea of the celebration of the birthday of man, of, of humankind, mankind and the, the, the basic distinction of, of mankind over over all the creatures is that man has free choice so free choice means that they're choosing to be in a relationship versus everything outside of, of man is in a direct relationship with the creator at all times but Hashem in this in this analogy is God is their is their Moisho God is their 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 ruler which means they don't have a say in the matter the tree is doing exactly the will of the Creator at every time. The, 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 the lion is doing exactly the will of the Creator at all times, and so is the zebra. The predator and, what's been, and the prey are both doing exactly the will of the Creator at all times. They're a, a perfect manifestation of the will of the Creator in their, at the way it's manifest through their existence. Mankind has free choice, which means we can choose to be in alignment with our Creator, or we can choose, God forbid, to do the opposite. Because the idea of Rosh Hashanah represents that we're anointing Hashem as the king, not as the ruler, but as the king, which means that we're accepting upon ourselves to live our lives in alignment with the Creator's will. That's the malchus, that's the kingship. It's not. We're not talking about a theoretical idea, we're talking about 
in a personal in our personal life experience, we say that Hashem is king, um, and this is what we want to do on Rosh Hashanah to make Hashem king. Means Hashem is king over me, which means I can't, Hashem is king over me. Not Hashem is king over the Hashem is always the king over the tree and over the animal. Hashem is the king over me means that I recognize that my life has a higher mission and a higher purpose, and I'm living for a higher purpose, and I have I have I I'm connected to that higher purpose, and inside in my own personal life, I'm I'm a king. I'm a ruler of my emotions. I'm a ruler of my instincts, like in, in my inner life, my mind controls. I don't let my, 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 I don't let my instincts go run wild. I have a certain sense of, 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 of awareness and, and consciousness that, that rules my life. So this is the idea of the malchus. This is the idea of the kingship in my own personal life. So the way we do king, the idea of, of becoming king is that it has to be manifest in every single aspect of our of creation our, and in our creation, our personal creation. So in our personal life, that represents the, the ten sefirot, the ten different attributes. So let's say Hashem is king, so to speak, in our life with regards to the chesed in our life. Right? Chesed would be a certain emotion of kindness or emotion of discipline. Like how do we live our life in a way that we show that Hashem is king in our life in, in, our, in, in the way we do kindness in this world? How do we reflect kindness in the world? How do we do discipline? Is the, is the discipline, is the reason why we're kind something that is coming from something that's transcendent of us, that gives us a sense that we should be kind? Or just like, that's, the, that's what I feel to be kind. Because And then sometimes I don't feel to be kind. Like, so is there some higher power that's, 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 I'm choosing to live in alignment with that higher power and therefore that's giving me a sense of what is correct to do and what is not correct to do. So therefore this 10 day period of between Russia and Yom Kippur, including Russia and Yom Kippur, these ten days correspond to these ten spherot, and every single day we're crowning Hashem in another attribute of our lives. Okay, so it starts off from Malchut, which is the lowest thing, the idea of the first sphere, which is kingship, which is our presence in this world, and then our connect connectivity and our relationships in the world. That's the first two days of Rosh Hashanah, and it flows upwards, according to the Ramak, according to other Kabbalists, it flows upwards until it gets to Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the Keser, the crown of Malchus, the, 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 the ultimate crown of Malchus. Okay, so you have the ten, the ten attributes correspond to the ten days of, of, of these days. These are times that according to the sages, when it says, when it says Hashem is close to us, then there's, there's a closeness in the, in the, in the language of the Mittler Rebbe, the son of the of the Balatanya, he says that it's it's karva nitzalamar. It's a time when the nitzitz, the sparks, are closer to its source. In this this time of, of great deep relationship that we feel the presence of Hashem in our life during this time period. Now, if you take the, the scope of the ten days and then you divide them and say the first two days are Rosh Hashanah, the last day is Yom Kippur, what you really have is seven days. And the seven days correspond to the seven possible days of the week. There's a Sunday, there's a Monday, there's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there's a Shabbos, right? They so these become, these seven days of the, of the, of the time period between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur correspond to the seven days of the entire year that will come. These become the foundational years. The foundational days. Every Sunday throughout my year will be reflected in the Sunday how I act on this Sunday. Every Monday of my year, of course, a person can do tshuva and change his ways, but this is the way general set up. It's, it's, it's sort of like you say that, you know, a person has to create certain foundations. Let's say when a person wakes up in the morning. 
So there's a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov that says that all your, all your words that you speak and also all your thoughts that you have throughout the day will be predicated and founded on the first thoughts that you have in the morning, on the first words that you say. Which means you wake up in the morning and you say, today is Moidani Lefanecha, thank you Hashem for giving me this new day. Today is going to be a wonderful day and thank you Hashem for giving me everything that I need. Then you're going to have everything you need that day. You wake up in the morning and say to yourself and think to yourself, oh, today I have to do this and that and I feel terrible and I'm not going to have to meet this person that I don't like and ah, it's going to be a terrible day. Then your day is going to be terrible because your day unfolds based on the foundations of what you set. You can't build a building without a strong foundation. And the foundation is really what, what gives rise to the structure. So the seven days that correspond between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, these seven days, the Sundays, the Mondays, the Tuesdays, when they correspond to the entire process throughout the year. And therefore, we're extra careful through these days. The Gemara talks about different things that a person should be extra careful during this time period because this is the foundation. It doesn't mean you're going to be that way the whole year. But if, you, if the foundation works this way, if I say, you know, my ideal way to live is to be this way, you know, then if you put the bar high, and you say, okay, that's, that's my ideal way, then throughout the year, you're hopefully going to live up to that aspiration. But if you put the bar very low, then you're just going to fall even lower. So therefore, there's a, there's a certain sense that during this seven-day seven period between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, you should be careful for things that you know maybe you're not going to do throughout the entire year. There's certain types of foods that you eat, maybe Bishalak, or certain things that you don't eat, the, 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 the Code of Jewish Law, Shukhanar says, that even though throughout the year you maybe eat these foods, during this time period, you should be careful not to eat them. Um, it's based on Yerushalmi but this idea to be careful with in other words there's a certain foundation saying I'm going to put the bar at a very high level I hope all my Sundays the next year like when you wake up in the morning you say thank you Hashem for giving me this life are you going to be in a state of thankfulness and gratefulness the entire day hopefully that's the aspiration you'll be in this grateful state but at least the foundation will be that way and therefore that will be the impetus that will be the the source that will allow for the unfolding of the entire day so that's why these these important days the foundation, the binyan malchus, the, the 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 creation of your malchus, of your of your of your presence in this world, of Hashem's presence in this world in your life should be should be founded on very strong foundations and structured in that way. Thank you. Our next question is: What is so profound about this seder avoda? Uh, this is the. Um, yeah. The divine service that we recount that uh, from the times of the base of Migdash that the Kohen Gadol would do on Yom, Yom Kippur. Uh, yeah, Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur. Um, why do we spend so much of the prayer service dedicated to what the, what the high priest did so many years ago? What does it mean for us now? So they, this is interesting because there's a, a principle that the Gemara says in Tainus, the Talmud says, that sometimes sometimes the destruction of one thing is actually the benefit of another in another direction. Something something that looks negative is actually a constructive state for another place. Talk specific, specifically about a koyim, and it's also relevant to us that in the times of the times of the basement, the times of the temple, the high priests would actually enter into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies, to enter into the Holy of Holies is is it says there should be no man enters when he enters into the holy of holies, and our sages and Yerushalmi also says that this means not even angels. That means it's a very private, personal space, a place where where it's it's completely soundless. I mean, when you go into the base of Migdash, into the temple, the further you, the deeper you get in, the quieter it becomes. 
So the outside chambers is very loud. There's a lot of music and sound, etc. The inside chambers becomes a little quieter. The inner chambers is where there's this lights burning and there's incense burning and it's a, a little quieter. And then finally, in the Holy of Holies, which the high priest can enter only once a year, Achaz Bashan, the once of the year, and the singularity of the year, and the single point of the year, that's where the, the Kohen God, the high priest, which represents the singularity, the, the, the singularity within the person, within, within consciousness, enters into that space. So the place of entering into the Holy of Holies is the place of utter silence, total silence and total unity, which is just the Kohen, the high priest, the Kohen God, alone with Hashem. There's no, no external trappings, no sound, no music, no imagery, just, just a perfect state of, of unity, a perfect state of, of, connect, of connectivity, which is beyond even angels. No one can experience it. It's, it's like the deepest, the deepest place where a person is connected with its source, with the source. That's the deepest place of Yom Kippur. The deepest place of Yom Kippur is the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, entering into that deepest place. That's a space within our own consciousness that we cannot share with anybody. There's, there's even the people that we love, the people that we're very much connected to, they're all on the external levels of self or the more external levels of self. But there's some very, very, very deep place within ourselves that it's just you and God. There's, just, there's, there's, there's No one else can share that experience. It's like the deepest place of who I am connected to the deepest place of, of Hashem's existence, of the Creator's existence, where I'm just intimate with Hashem. And that's the place that only me and God know. That's like the deepest places in our consciousness and the quiet and the stillness of that space. In the times of the Beis Amigdash, times of the Temple, the high priest entered as the shliach, as the messenger as the, as the, of all of Kalas, all the people of Israel. In other words, he represented that ideal person that lived in that state. And he did all the services that he had to do to enter into that place. And he was our, mess he was our messenger that went in for us. But now that we don't have the base of Migdash, we don't have a physical temple, so everything exists within time, space, and consciousness. So if it doesn't exist within the world of space, the physical base of Migdash, it still exists within the world of time. The base of Migdash exists within the world of time. The base of Migdash of time and the Kodesh HaKadosh of time, the Holy of Holy of Times is Yom Kippur. And the same thing also in the world of Nefesh, in the world of soul, and consciousness, the, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, and the Kohen Gadol represents us in our deepest space, our Yechidosh HaVanavish, our deepest level of soul. On Yom Kippur, when we reenact and we speak about the Avoidah, we speak about the service of the, of the, Holy, of the Kohen Gadol, the High Priest, entering into the Holy of Holies, what we're really supposed to be thinking about is how are we entering ourselves into that Holy of Holies space? And now this is, a, this is something that we have only in exile. The fact that we don't have a physical Kohen Gadol that becomes our representative and our Shliach that enters into the Holy of Holies, now we have to enter the Holy of Holies. So we do the whole service of the Avoidah not just to remember the past of what happened. There was once a base of English, once a temple, and this was the service what happened then, and this is the way he entered, and this is what happened. This is what this is the occurrence of the past. But we're saying that that was, that was true in the world of space at that time period, but in the world of time and the world of, of consciousness. It's still true today. And we have to go through that same process. All this, this process of entering, furthering ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper to get into the Holy of Holy place is something that we have to try to experience on Yom Kippur. That's what we say on Yom Kippur is the, is the level of, of Yechida, the highest level of the soul is, be, is revealed. The highest level of, of the soul, that's why there are five 
prayers on Yom Kippur, on Yom Kippur, a special idea that on Yom Kippur is five, because we represent the five levels of the soul. And the highest level of soul that becomes revealed on Yom Kippur is the level of Yechida. Yechida is, is, is our, Yechida means our deepest level of self, but it also means our uniqueness. Our utter uniqueness, our utter, our utter uniqueness that's one with the, the utter uniqueness of the Creator. So we peel away, on Yom Kippur, we peel away all the trappings. There's also five inuim, there's five um, constrictions that we're not supposed to be doing. You know, you don't eat, you, need, you, don't, you don't anoint yourself, you don't bathe, things like that. So the five things represent the stripping away of all these layers of myself to enter into a very refined, pure state where I'm not my food, I'm not my clothes, I'm not my job, I'm not my relationships with other people, right? These are all representatives of these five ideas. Like I can't have a relationship with my spouse, so I'm not relationships. I can't remember, I don't wear shoes, which represents dominance, which means which in the works in the workspace, I don't have, I'm not in control. I don't, I'm not defined by my food, I'm not defined by my beauty, which is external. Okay, so strip all those things. I'm not defined by my things that I have, I'm not defined by my relationships that I have. Who am I? Who's my... Yechida, who's my unique self that exists in that quiet space that's beyond all the trappings of what I have and what I do and who, who I know. Everything's stripped away. Me, in my very core place, my Yechida, on Yom Kippur, that level of self becomes much more accessible to us. So the process of talking about the Avodah, talking about the High Priest, entering into the, into the Holy of Holies, is a process of our self stripping ourselves entering into different different types of spaces within our consciousness to get to the place where we're actually one and, and in that quiet space of this being in that place. Wow, thank you. The next question we have is why do we, been, we, why do we begin Yom Kippur with Kol Nidre, which is availing ourselves of all vows? What does relinquishing vows and oaths have to do with repentance and atonement? So again, this is like one of these questions that have a technical reason for it and then more a deeper reason for it. There's a technical reason for that because Yom Kippur represents, it's also the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, so I'm happy to custom to do a Taras and Dharm to an old vows already for Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is a continuation, the beginning of the new year also as well. So the it's a Gemara. The Gemara says in the Dharm Chav Gimel, the Gemara says, the Talmud says, that before the year comes, a person should annul their vows, there's a big argument between Tysus and the Rush, between different commentaries, whether it means the vows of the future or vows of the past. And this is this, this is the very basic structure of it. And technically, if you really want to get technical, it has nothing to do with Yom Kippur. Like, it's a, it's a thing that happens before Yom Kippur um, to, or before the new year. So you had all the vows before the new year. It technically happens that most people are together in the, in the shul on Yom Kippur. So before Yom Kippur begins, you start with Kol Nidre. That's like the technical answer. Now, historically, that's not, the, that's not, that's not a good answer. Because historically what happened is that Kol Nidre actually became part of the service of Yom Kippur. And not only became the part of Yom Kippur, but it actually became the service of the night of Yom Kippur. That's when people come to shul to hear the Kol Nidre. So there's there's an historical reason for this for this um, strong emotional identification association with Kol Nidre, and it's identification Yom Kippur because it seems like this is probably it goes bef- it goes even way before the Spanish Inquisition. It goes back to probably the sixth century or the ninth century or maybe even Anchek Nesak. We're not sure exactly who 
established this this liturgy because and the liturgy was actually for example in Ramam Rangon in like in the 10th century one of the early Siddurim it's actually in Hebrew so we know that it even dates back in an earlier time period but it became very it, it resonated very deeply with a lot of people especially during the time of persecution because uh, in times of, of religious persecution Jews were forced to vow that they're leaving, God forbid, Yiddishkeit, they're leaving the Judaism, and they're accepting upon themselves different forms of idol worship. And it was only a Mustafa Lahut, only something external, they didn't really mean it. So on the day before Yom Kippur, where they would gather together, they would say, all the vows that I made is, is null and void, and that was a way to, and therefore it had a very strong resonance, a very strong emotional quality that Kol Nidri had. So this is this is like the technical and the historical, but it's interesting that the Zayar says something a little bit different, and this is I think more the spiritual reason why the Kol Nidri actually becomes very important. So the the, the Zayar says that by a person by a person unburdening themselves from vows, which is a vow is a certain type of constriction. I'll explain what that means. By a person unveiling, unveiling, uh, annulling themselves from these vows, from these constrictions, they create an expansiveness within themselves, and therefore it elicits an expansive response from above, unrestricted, an unrestricted response from above. So somehow breaking the certain shackles of below allows for like a, a flow to come down from above, which is, which is infinite and, un, un, and unbounded. And ideas like this, that a vow is a very interesting thing. And we have to speak about because there's different types of vows. But a lot of times a vow, when a person makes a vow, is a lot of time it comes from a negative place. Let's say for a person, a person is was in a relationship and was married for many years and they had their heart broken. And they said, okay. So they vow in their mind and they say, you know what? I'm never going to open myself up again. I can't, I can't do that. I can't open myself up to another human being. And unfortunately, a lot of people are like this, whether they're conscious or not. They were hurt as a young child, and therefore they can't feel love because they made some type of inner vow, some inner promise that said, I can't do that. I can't be hurt again. Or let's say a person was tried to express himself as a child, and uh, you know the parents, uh, someone said, oh, you don't know how to sing. And then for the rest of their life, they're quiet because they feel like they can't do it. So they, they, there's, there's certain type of vows that a person makes. Or a person says, try something and work really hard at doing it, especially like a person makes a resolution. And, you know, Rosh Hashanah is very serious and he makes a resolution, this year is going to be this way, and he fails. And a lot of times, unfortunately, people do fail on their resolutions. Sometimes people put resolutions at a very high bar and they and they don't do it smart, in a smart way, which is step by step. But they say, grand revolution, grand Resolution. I'm going to do change the world. No, you're going to change yourself slowly, one step at a time. But if they do that and then they feel they, they fall, then they promise themselves, I'm never going to try again. Like, I vow that this year I'm going to learn X amount of, you know, Gemara, or I'm going to pray for this, this amount of hours, or I'm going to do this amount of chesed in this world, this amount of kindness. And it doesn't work. And then the year you look at it and say, well, I didn't do it. So you say, eh, forget it, I can't do it. So what the vow really is a type of constriction. It's, it's, it's a limitation. It's a, it's, a, it's a person saying, based on my past actions, I can't do it. And they vow to do that. This is, this is even with a positive vow. If I say, I would like to do kindness in this world, and I vow to do it, and I'm making a vow to do it, what you're really saying is that there may come a time in the ne next year that I'm not going to feel obliged to do it. I'm not going to feel enthusiastic to do it, but I'm just going to do it because of the, because of the promise. Which means I'm going to be. There's going to be an inconsistency. I'm just going to do it because some type of external force that I vowed myself to do it. I'm going to do it. So vows 
on a very on a deep level is a type of constriction. It's a type of like there's there's some type of inconsistency either between what I want to really be doing and what the vow tells me to be doing, or it's like an inner, inner vow which really is a restriction on myself and my potentials. I can't do it. I'm not able to do it. I'm shutting myself down because of the past hurt, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna open myself up again. I'm not gonna I'm never gonna sing. I'm never gonna do this because I can't do it. And people put these constant constrictions within themselves. Comes Yom Kippur. What's Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is really about a day of total freedom, total transcendence of freedom. Yom Kippur is about the emptying of ourselves of all these these types of constrictions, and it becomes the light. It's like the lightness of being, like this to be to feel lighter, to feel angelic. To, to Yom Kippur is not about painting your body. The the, 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 the Gemara says that if 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 the sages want, if the if the Torah wants you to paint your body, then you should sit in the sun. Or rolling the rolling the, with with you know other other things. Do something that's painful. It's not about painful. It's about the release. Like sometimes we feel like I'm attached to food, almost like I, I I vow that I'm attached to food. I have this conception that I must eat, you know, I must have my coffee every morning. Otherwise, my whole day is not going to work. Really? Watch. You're not going to have coffee. Everything's going to be fine. Or you know, if I don't eat my supper dinner at this time, then I, you know, I, if I don't sleep this amount of hours, and you know, we have all different types of ideas in our head that puts constant limitations on ourselves, and we, we we put ourselves in the, in in, in, our, in our own prison and throw away the key. You know, if, if I don't sleep this amount of hours, then I'm not going. If I don't have my food, if I don't have my this, I don't have that, then I'm not. Don't make yourself so limited. Comes Yom Kippur and says, free yourself. Free yourself. Just forget about all these things. And one of the ways to do that is, I can, is verbally to do that is before Yom Kippur begins. As Yom Kippur is initiating, we say Kol Nidre. What is Kol Nidre? saying all the vows, all the things that are restricting me, that are saying you can't do it, you're not able to do it. Or any, even the things that say you have to do it, but not that I want to do it. Right? There's things that I must do or I'm, at, I'm able to do. Must comes with a lot of negativity. Able comes with freedom. I'm able to do everything. I want to do everything, not I have to do everything. I want to, because I want to. I'm free to do it. So this is what the Zohar is saying. Because, comes called Nidra, comes called Nidra, because you're Yom Kippur. You're saying I am unbinding myself of all these vows, of all these constrictions, of all these limitations, of all these things that are pushing me down and making me small and not allowing me to really expand. I'm opening up Lamata below, you know, unbinding myself here below. Therefore, Hashem says when you do that below. Then is Hashem Silcha, Hashem is our shadow. Hashem reflects, the blessings reflect that. Therefore, the blessings that come down is unrestricted. And that's the deeper reason why, why we say Kol Nidre before Yom Kippur or part of Yom Kippur. Hmm. Thank you. I think the end of that touches on the next question, yeah. which is how do we relate and work through the discomforts of fasting during Yom Kippur? <sighs> so the, the Badichever once said, that Padisha uh, was a great Hasidic master. And he said that on Yom Kippur, very little lesson. Who wants to eat? Mm. Not that you can't eat. Yom Kippur is not about afflicting the body. There's no mitzvah to afflict the body. The, the idea of Yom Kippur is that, um, you know, a lot of the things that we do on the, in practice on Yom Kippur is let's let, we'll say it this way there's actually two ways how to see this and one way to see it is that Yom Kippur is forces us to bump up against death 
And one is to transcend life and there's, there's, or transcend the drama of life. So let's, let's use the first paradigm, the first way of thinking about Yom Kippur. The first way of thinking about Yom Kippur is on Yom Kippur we do a lot of things or before Yom Kippur that are similar to death practices. For example, a kaparis, which is a famous thing about slaughtering a, a bird, however you do it, but there's some type of, uh, you know, something visceral of, of death, um, going into a mikvah, going into a ritual bath, which is, uh, you know, shulchanah, we should do, our Narav Yom Kippur, everyone does that, is the idea of, like, literally what, what a body is, was done to a body after 120, you put on white garments, which is like the shrouds that your person's buried with, so there's a lot of not eating, not intimacy, all these things, a lot of things, on one hand, it's a death practice, which means, a death practice means, imagine you did have only, God forbid, 24 hours to live, right? A lot of times, the reason why we don't do the right things, and we're acting sometimes in a very low level of uh, potential, is we say, okay, tomorrow we can do it. And, you know, I'll get around to it. I really should make up with my friend, but I'll do it, you know, next week. I really should call this guy and I haven't spoken to him in a while, or I really should do this, but, you know, I have an infinite amount of time. I'll figure it out. I'll do it. But if you, if someone told you, God forbid, God forbid, God forbid, someone told you you really only have 24 hours to live, then your life, and those 24 hours would be the most meaningful 24 hours of your life because you would do exactly what you should be doing at every moment. You would make up with every person that you had a fight with. You would you would speak to all the people that you should not, you know, haven't spoken to in a while. You would you would love your children. You would hug your wife. You would do all the right things correctly because your mind would be in, in, in the correct state. So one level, Yom Kippur, is how could I induce myself to feel that place where the immediacy of death is actually very real so therefore, the immediacy of what the purpose of life and the meaning of life and how I can live my life becomes that much stronger. That's one understanding. So if you look at the Ramah, Ramah Yisrael, when he talks about wearing this, these garments, and in many different places he speaks about the same idea, one reason is because it reminds us of death, and the other reason is because white represents is symbolic of angelic clothes. So that's like the, the, the parallel story, which is that they're not representing the immediacy of death, but almost the transcendence of all the attachments that we have to things that of, 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 of food and drink and relationships. Yom Kippur is not a time that we're supposed to fast from food, but you're supposed to be transcendent of food and who can eat and who wants to eat. That's really, that's really the mindset. And the truth is, I think there's also this, there's a, the body, this is something that if you put your mind out of this, out of it, you know, most people think, like certainly as Yom Kippur is coming along, they think they're actually hungry and their mind tells them that they're hungry and therefore they, they, they start, they're constantly thinking about food. But if you allow your, your body to guide you without actually your mind guiding you, you would find that over a certain period of time, the body literally starts eating from itself. Like it's chayas marav, that's the way that Rizal talks about it. Like the, 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 the fast itself becomes this, the source of nourishment, which means the body goes into a different type of state where it doesn't need food from the outside, but it actually takes from the, whatever, the preserve, whatever the reserves that it has within the body and starts generating. So when a person fasts long enough, obviously not for a long period of time, but a person starts long enough, after a certain point of time during the day of Yom Kippur, if you stop with your head thinking that you're hungry, you'll actually realize you're not hungry. Your, your hunger just disappears. Now, it takes about 15 hours, 20 hours until you get to that place. By the time you reach the, sort of the, the, the peak of Yom Kippur, where you're reaching the final stage of Yom Kippur, you're actually, physically you're not hungry. If, if you're heart hungry, it's just because your mind is telling you you're hungry and you get out of your head. If you just allow the experience of Yom Kippur to, to enter, to, to kick into right gear, you'll realize that as Yom Kippur is progressing, food becomes less an issue 
And if you just go with it, and if you allow yourself to be that, you're going to feel much lighter. And as, as you're going to pray the final prayers of, of Yom Kippur, especially with Nila, you're going to feel a certain lightness of being. Like you're going to feel, you're going to feel very uh, eerie, very light. Um, and that's, that's, a good, that's, a good, that's a good feeling. And because you, you just unburdened yourself. There's, 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 in Chazal, it talks about things that are heavy. The three things that are heavy. One of the things that are heavy is, is sin is heavy. Things that are negative are heavy. They, they weigh you down. And when you become unburdened, this is what it says in the, in the name of, of many tzaddikim, that the sensation that you have on, as Yom Kippur is over, when Yom Kippur is over, of this lightness, of this being unburdened, it's a physical sensation because you haven't eaten for a long time, but it's also the unburdening of all the negativities that you have. So you have to just allow yourself to be in the presence of, your, of yourself without trying to you know, think, that, oh, I really should be doing that, I should do that. Just go, go be Yom Kippur in Yom Kippur. Just be there. If you allow yourself to just be fully within Yom Kippur, in Yom Kippur you'll feel like this lightness of being, and then you'll feel this, the unburdening, and then on, 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 on Matzah Yom Kippur, the end of Yom Kippur, you will feel this, this sensation of a total unburdening. Your, your sins have already been forgiven. And therefore, I always say that the, the way you know if Yom Kippur worked out, if you really did it correctly, is after Yom Kippur if you don't rush to eat food. And that's why there's a, there's a certain custom to actually do Kiddush Levana after, to sanctify the moon after Yom Kippur. And I, always, I think that the reason, the deeper reason for that is that proves, if you can do that, that proves that you're not, that you actually Yom Kippur work. If right after you, I must have food. Now, if you have a headache, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a person's not feeling well. I'm talking about a person's fine, but in their mind, oh, I didn't eat 24 hours, I must go eat. No, look, watch, I can go outside, I can dance in front of the moon, and I'm, I'm fine. It's not, everything's gonna be working out, everything's gonna be fine. If you can do that, then you know Yom Kippur works. If you make after the final after they finally blow the chauffeur, or after Meyer, if the first thing you dash to the back of the shoal to get the, to get you know to get a piece of sponge cake, especially if you jab the guy next to you to get it, then maybe you should go back to start over Kol Nidra and start over Yom Kippur. Hmm. The certain sense of lightness has to that's the sensation that you're supposed to feel on Yom Kippur on Yom Kippur Eve on Yom Kippur on, as Yom Kippur ends. Thank you very much, Rav. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Ralph Pinson's podcast. To submit questions or to sponsor a future episode, please email ralphpinsonpodcast at gmail.com. The link is in the description below.